0: Okay, Practice Indy, welcome to our podcast this week, and I'm not going to fucking lie to you, we have a full-blown genius as um, our guest, a repeat guest, repeat, repeat. Uh, Mary Margaret, which we affectionately call in my household, Baby Margaret, um, (laughs) is a therapist, specifically a sex therapist, um, an ET aficionado, and the... (laughs) president of the Julie Andrews fan club. Um, in all seriousness, Mary Margaret's probably one of my favorite people on this planet. And uh, this conversation is super important. And I'm, I'm really honored that you are taking the time, Mary Margaret. So can you elaborate mainly on the Julie Andrews fan club, but any of your other credentials um, that, you know, you beyond qualified to have this conversation? <laughs>
1: Uh, yeah, that's a great introduction. Um, I haven't fit that on my business card yet. I'll have to get a bigger, get a, have to get a bigger vote. Um, I, yeah, uh, Julie Andrews unofficial fan club. I think I'm, um, definitely leading the charge on that, but, um, you know, there's, there's never, there's never not a time that the sound of music doesn't apply to a life lesson. So (laughs) sure. We'll find one today as well in our talk. Uh, yeah, I am a, um, a proud member of Practice Indy, first of all. And um, thank you for having me and always being supportive of your of your people and you know using your platform to lift up other people. Very important thing that you do. Um, I am a psychotherapist in private practice. Um, I also run a training and consulting practice kind of alongside that. So um, offering trainings around mostly sexual health stuff, but um, also trauma-informed care and things like that um, to organizations and you know, whoever calls, you know how self employment goes. <laughs> um, and then, as far as my therapy practice, though, um, I am a sex therapist working toward my national certification in that way. So, um, by the end of next year, I will have those additional letters behind my name. So, I'm currently seeking certification. It's quite a lengthy process. So, um, something to kind of note, I guess, if you are looking for a sex therapist, um, you know, we have, by the time we're certified fully, we have. About ten years of education and training and supervised practice with clients. So um, it is, you know, not kind of a just hang a shingle and open up business if you are doing it, you know, in the sort of right way. I think um, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of information to learn about, um, you know, medical stuff that might come into play, and then just being trained as a therapist by itself, and then further specializing in the, you know, biopsychosocial pieces of sexuality. So that's me. And that's, that's why we're talking today.
0: Oh, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that you are a phenomenal yoga teacher as well, 200 hour certified. And we are hosting this conversation around sex in the pandemic. So we're going to be doing a yoga nerd out session with you November 16th through the 19th, which yes. is um, going to be a deeper dive into this conversation. But today we just hope to sort of brush the surface and get people jazzed or excited or terrified um, to to join the larger the larger conversation. So thank you for being here. And I think what I'd like to kick our conversation off with is maybe just sharing a definition of sex. And let me give a little preface there. Um, you and I have talked at length about sex and about how it is self-care. And uh, we did a book club on Come As You Are by Dr. Emily Nagoski. And um, over our conversations together and through that study, it's become increasingly apparent to me that we might just have to start with like the definition because I think Cosmo has made its entire (laughs) magazine sales off of redefining it for us instead of us, uh, kind of reclaiming our definition of sex. So can you enlighten Mm. us on that?
1: Yeah. I love how you phrased that. Um, yeah. You know, I think what's so funny about so much of that, right. Is that I'm inclined to believe that, you know, If that, if all of those things on, on, you know, magazine covers really worked, like we wouldn't have to keep publishing it. You know what I mean? Like we would have had it figured out by now um, after the 30 years of those magazines continuing to come out with the same kind of advice repackaged, right? Um, I think, you know, with sex, as with anything, um, if anything kind of sells itself as being like the universal answer or the end all be all, it's you know, if it, if it answers nothing, it, if it answers everything, it answers nothing. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, and, and I think there's a lot of like, uh, Instagram consumable stuff right now about like sexuality and just do this and it'll, you know, bring your, your sex drive back or whatever. And there's not a lot of substance behind it. And so, um, I would love to expand on that. Um, You know, something I talk about with, I think every single one of my clients, no matter what their presenting problem is, meaning what is their like initial concern? Why did they come to therapy? Um, You know, no matter what that concern is, typically there's at some point a conversation around, well, how do you define sex? And people usually look at me like I'm nuts because they think like, do you really not know what sex is? I thought you were like a professional, like a sex therapist person. Um, and, and what I mean is like, yes, I understand, like, like I've had the birds and the bees talk and I have, and I give them professionally. Right. Um, so I get it, but also how do you define sex? Because every couple or every individual looks at that differently. So for example, um, some of the work I think with most people I work with in practice is about expanding the definition of what sex actually is. So, you know, I guess thought experiment for everybody listening. If I say, you know, oh, I have a couple in therapy as my clients, and they say that they're not having enough sex, immediately what does your brain say? Your brain says, like, they're not, they're not having sex off enough, they're not having intercourse enough. And you imagine like two straight people, a man and a woman, you know, like we have this very um narrow definition of what sex is. We even talk about like virginity is like very much tied to like have you had heterosexual intercourse, right? Um, and spoiler alert, like there's a lot of different ways to be intimate with people and with ourselves. And so one of the first things I try to get clients to do is to expand what does it actually mean to be sexually active with yourself or with your partner um, and infuse some more of just that, you know, sensual, fun, playful energy in, in more parts of your life. And I think then we start to see, oh, we actually have more of this playful um, energy than we thought we did or we can create more room for it. Um, and it doesn't always have to look the same way. And can we just be curious about w- what we want sex to look like and mean for us? So I think anything we're bringing like an erotic energy to, anything that we are intentionally you know, um, creating with a partner with ourselves that makes us feel sexual, that makes us feel aroused, makes us feel excited, that's all sex, right? And it doesn't have to look the same you know, between each person. And it doesn't like, that's the thing I think we all believe is that there's like a right way to do it. And, um, if it's consensual, that's the right way to do it. Otherwise there's not a lot of like norms. Everybody is different. And there's a lot of things that fall under the category of normal as far as sexuality goes.
0: I think I, uh, one, that was amazing. Thank you. Two, um, I've seen a lot of posts in my incredibly uh, liberal and sort of radical Instagram feed. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's widespread, but I have seen an increase in people posting about, what sex is too is um, an intimate relationship with yourself. And Mm -hmm. much like the yoga practice, it is difficult to cultivate We could argue on this either side, but in my lens, it's difficult to cultivate a um, relationship of union. If we're talking about yoga with the collective, if you can't do that with yourself, right? If you your own self talk is like pure trash, but then you espouse love and light to others, that's kind of hollow. And you know, the same has come really come to me in these posts is like the same is true with ourselves. If we can't have a sexual relationship. With ourselves and have healthy sex practices with ourselves how do we expect to do that with another person and i think that is a whole nother tangent but something that i am just trying to normalize for myself and have that conversation with myself a lot because uh living here in indiana is not in terms of um sexual literacy is not that different in my view than how i grew up in alabama yeah so You know, I think that's just something that maybe we'll touch on in the group uh, in November. Maybe we won't, but something that's definitely opened my eyes to, um, to what sex is.
1: Well, I think I, I love your analogy about, <clears throat> um, you know, yoga and, and sort of what are we saying? And I think, you know, you and I are both yoga teachers. And I think, you know, I know when I'm teaching a yoga class, like I feel less authentic as a teacher and it, and the class doesn't go as well. If I haven't been on my own mat, you know what I mean? Like if I haven't been showing up to my mat and I haven't been doing my own work around, you know, not just like the pose of the week. Right. That's certainly part of it. But if I am not practicing yoga, I, how am I supposed to lead other people through it? And you can like fake that for a while, I think. And, you know, but I think people feel the difference between teachers and that might be that that thing that's not tangible about like, why am I really drawn to this teacher and not, and not another one? Maybe, you know, is that authenticity piece. And I think, yeah, very much the same where if we are consistently told, and we are, that um, sexuality is, is like shameful and dirty. And even if we don't, even if we know that that's like not true, or we don't want to believe that, those messages ring really strong, right? That we've been raised with them. And so we have to get that work right in order to come together with a, with a partner or partners, like you're saying. Right. And, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a constant practice, which we can you know, certainly come back to when we will be talking about in November is that, you know, so much of life is like the yoga practice. It's coming back over and over again and learning more and staying curious and that there's always sort of a greater, you know, level of awareness to ascend to. And um, you know, prioritizing that and, and doing so around sexuality does not make you like weird or bad or dirty. It's, it's a piece of your genetic makeup that's okay to investigate and claim as your own, you know, and, and we expect people to uh, leave that dormant and not talk about it or think about it or look at it. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, oh, here's a partner and now you're supposed to have this incredible sex together. Well, how in the world do you do that? if you've never given it time or energy to even think about what you want it to look like. And yeah, and defi- like we just talked about, defining what sex should look like for you and what feels comfortable for you and what doesn't. And um, you, know, you can't do that sort of in, a, in a, an echo chamber with no inputs.
0: Yeah, I, I'm certain as a therapist right now, well, I know this because I have talked to you about it, but I, I probably don't know the extent how do you think the pandemic is affecting, right? So we're starting, with, we're starting with a culture that already shames sexuality, gives you a narrow lens of it and doesn't give us the tools to manage it personally and then you know, pull one or more people into it and share it. So uh, now we're in a time of great anxiety and depression and mental health. Um, its own pandemic is the mental health pandemic we're yeah. going through so how do you see the pandemic affecting people's sex lives um right now
1: yeah um in a big in a big way um you know what is what is so cool about being in this field is that, you know, everyone kind of has their hunches about sex or what they know to be true about their own sex life or what their friends have said or, you know, whatever, all the messages they get from their anecdotal experience. And we have a whole field of study, you know, that, that is measuring these things. And we already have had several, you know, kind of preliminary studies happen this year around what actually has has occurred um because of the pandemic as far as our sex lives and sensual sense of self um and what we learned and like i think the first study that came out from this from uh, the kinsey institute at indiana university um was that 44 percent of couples um and i think this was couples of all different um identities around gender race sexuality all the things um all report forty four percent of them reported having a a pretty drastic dip in their level of sexual desire since March. Um, I was kind of I mean obviously not happy to see that, but validated in seeing that because when this all started and we, you know, in March, it was like, okay, lockdown, nobody leave. The jokes were around. We're going to have a baby boom in nine months. And I was like, I don't think that will happen. (laughs) Um, I really don't think that's going to happen. And so I felt kind of validated, like, yeah, okay, I was right. You know, Um, it did also show that 14% of couples were reporting um, a higher sexual desire. And we think, you know, there are people for whom um, sex is a stress release. And I think that's where that, that's coming from. But I think much, the study showed that more folks, um, anxiety was uh, impacting their ability to engage in that way. And so I love hearing data like that because it's normalizing, right? It's validating for people who think like, am I the only one that's experiencing that? No, like almost half of couples are. And probably more because I think we still, it's a hard thing to collect data on because people even on an anonymous survey, we know that they lie about sex because it's so shameful for them. So I bet it's even more than 44%, but that's what was at least reported. So still a huge number.
0: Yeah. God. How do you think from, because you are working with sort of two, two elements here as a psychotherapist and um, specializing in sex therapy, how do you see the mind? And I didn't prep you for this question, so sorry. <laughs> We'll see what happens. How, how do you see, because you said stress relief, using sex as a stress relief, which it is, um, it is exciting to hear that 14%, which isn't a small percentage in yep. my, you know, in my interpretation of that number. But um, how do you see the mind and what we're experiencing in the world right now in connection to that? Uh, when we read um, Come As You Are, so much of the sexual experience is highlighted in that book. And she was speaking fairly specifically to um, women. Um, maybe maybe I, there's more I could expand in terms of gender, but in my limited view, it was, it was directed at women. Um, and in my experience of that and in reading that, it's a lot about the uh, mental, sex is a mental exercise in many ways. Yes. So how do you see all of that affecting People mentally, and how do you think that is yielding those those outputs of forty four percent seeing a decline and fourteen percent? You already sort of spoke to, but fourteen percent seeing an incline.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know what we know about um, the way the brain works, and then you know by by extension emotions and how we you know live our days is that there, um, there was a, this is an old, old, old piece of data. And so a lot of people might hear this and go like, oh yeah, I think I saw that in psych 101. This is a very like intro level psych thing is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And so the visual is like a pyramid and on the base level, it's like Food and sleep and shelter, right? And like after those things have been secured for a human being, the thought Maslow's thought was that then you can ascend to the next level up, right? And then like the very top is like self actualization, right? So, this idea that there really is like a privilege to being able to ascend up that pyramid of getting your basic needs met first, and then only then can we then like continue to grow and access different things. Because, you know, just from like a biological perspective, if we are Um, if our bodies are in, like, literally in survival mode, like, I don't mean, like, I'm really busy, I'm in survival mode, but, like, literally our bodies are starving and we haven't slept and we don't water, like, you know, our reproductive systems can shut down. You know, I'm sure we've all, like, heard about, you know, like, female athletes who's like, period, stop, right? Because their bodies are are very, um, all the energy is being used um, to create muscle, to not hold fat, to, you know, and so it has an effect on the reproductive system, literally. And so stress can do the same thing. So, um, you know, if we are feeling overly stressed right now, which I think a lot of us are, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, there's um, a threat. And I think in Uh, to maybe most folks listening and people who are able to like access a yoga membership, for example, most of us probably are not at that basic, basic bottom level, right? Like most of us probably have food and water and we can, even if sleep is a little disturbed right now, we can still access it and we probably have those basic needs met, but they've been threatened, right? Like we are scared about our health, especially when this, you know, when the pandemic first started, we were, it felt so unknown. And we all were like, can I go to the grocery store? Like if I touch my mailbox, I mean, really, you know, we were really losing. And so if that, if you've spent your day going, Oh my God, I just, I just touched the cereal box and did my partner wipe it down after he bought it at Aldi. And then I went to get the mail and should I sanitize the mail? And like, I mean, nowhere in there is there a lot of room for like playfulness and creativity and curiosity. Mm
0: right?
1: So layer on all the stresses that we've been through and it's not shocking to me that that kind of, that that becomes like one of the last things on the priority list. And so, um, you know, it, it, to me, is it was an obvious thing and why I was kind of laughing when people were like, oh, there's gonna be a baby boom. I just really didn't think there would be. And so, you know, the other piece of this is that sex is also, um, you know, one of the reasons that like we do it is that, it's an attachment activity, right? So this idea in psychology of that we have um, it's attachment theory, that we have attachments to our caregivers when we're young, you know, that we are parents typically, but whoever is there to care for us when we're young um, and that those connections really, really matter and shape how our brains literally get wired over time. And that with our romantic partners, that we have attachment relationships and that one of the reasons that sex is so, this is very generalized, typical. Typically, sex is very... Frequent at the beginning of a relationship, and one of the reads of that is like, well, yeah, we're trying to like prove attachment to that person, like literally <laughs> attaching to them, you know. Um, to be crude about it, but like it's it's proving it over and over again. And then when you've been with someone for fifteen years, you kind of know they're there. You kind of take it for granted. And that's when we kind of see things start to, you know, slope off when that attachment's really doesn't feel as vulnerable anymore. Um, and so I think there might also be something about. 14 that percent that's on increase that maybe they're looking for some like attachment to feel like i'm still anchored and tethered to this person i'm still um i still have caretakers right? i still have a partner and a, a teammate in this and so um feeling lonely for folks who are single you know during this there has been a lot of uh conversation around can you safely have like hookups during a pandemic and what does that mm-hmm. look like and for people saying why would you even entertain that? That sounds so silly. We're not, we're not supposed to shake hands. Like, why in the world would you entertain a hookup? And it's like, well, you know, it's kind of easy to say if you're partnered, right? But there is a thing as like being, you know, touch hungry, skin hungry. And, and as humans, we literally do need um, connection with other humans. And, and if you don't have that and you've been trapped in an apartment by yourself quarantining, that takes a mental toll. And so, you know, this all interplays together. And... I I just think, you know, all sex therapists and I think attachment-based therapists in general, at the beginning of this were all like, oh boy. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, this is gonna have an impact.
0: Yeah. God. And I think we'll unravel the impact for years and years to come.
1: <laughs> oh, a hundred percent. I mean, there's you know, there's a lot of this is probably obvious, but you know, just when you when you're in uh school to become a therapist, whatever stripe that is, you know, you, you learn about these long-term studies, right? Of how different historical events have impacted, you know, yeah, generations of people. And, um, you know, the, the idea of, you know, if, if you're doing the current Practice Cindy Book Club with my grandmother's hands, you know, the fact that we literally have epigenetic markers of our ancestors' trauma, um, Yes, this will be passed down and I don't say that to be like doom and gloom. I don't even I don't mean it that way. I mean that if we know about it, we can intervene. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we can't intervene if we don't know. But we know now. We know those things are real, not just anecdotally, but we've studied it. And we know we can intervene with trauma therapy. We know that we can build supports around people as this plays out to help them reestablish healthy connection with their partner or with themselves. And and if we don't acknowledge it, we can't we can't do anything about it, right? So um Yeah, I don't at all say that to point out like, well, you know, um, but we just have to know about it to make a plan. And so, um, I'm, I'm, that's why I was so happy to see that early, early research come out of IU Kinsey Institute was like, okay, if we know this is true, we can do something about it and we can start, you know, talking to folks and making plans with them. And, um, you know, if someone who's not a therapist, just like, you know, a person in the world, reads that news story it normalizes it for them and they go, "Oh, okay. Maybe, you know, maybe there's nothing wrong with me. Maybe I'm having the exact appropriate response to a once in a lifetime trauma. This feels appropriate now I get it." Mhm. Yeah.
0: So so great to normalize it and have the conversation about it, which I think is the scariest thing for a lot of people is that we we do have, and I don't mean to demonize the Quaker sex life. Maybe they have just like, they're just like bunnies. I don't know. But you uh, have this like Victorian Quaker sort of um, stronghold on sex and our inability to talk about it. And so I think just talking about it normalizes it and in normalizing it, then we can do something about it. And, uh, you know, our yoga nerd out session in November is an attempt to to work on it, to not just let this be a thing that we're like, Oh yeah, well that was the year I didn't have any sex or (laughs) whatever. So can you maybe offer, um, who this course is for? Like if anyone is considering joining us, like who, who would you say should come to the yoga nerd out session in November with you?
1: Yeah. So I will um, give away part of a one of the trainings that I do really frequently is like a sex ed 101 for therapists and other you know social workers, case manager type folks. Um, because I learned in graduate school, I had to learn about, you know, all these generalist kind of things in practice, like a little bit about addictions, a little bit about severe mental illness, even though I had no intention to practice in those areas, I had to learn about them. And I was grateful I did. But we didn't have to do any kind of human sexuality rotation, which I found totally bonkers because, um, you know, not, not everyone I work with has an addiction, uh, concern. Um, not everyone I work with has a severe mental illness, but everyone I work with has a sexuality, you know? And so I often start that training by asking the people gathered there. And these are, you know, um, direct service providers who have no training in, in, um, sex therapy, sexual health. And I say, you know, who here is is, um, is a sex educator? And like maybe at a big conference, like two people will raise their hand. And that's why they were, you know, they picked that session to come to. And I say, okay, great. Well, actually, you know, it was a trick question. Like you, you all are, you're all sex educators because, you know, you influence other people. If you have children, guess what? You're a sex educator. If you are providing direct service to people, you're a sex educator. If you have friends, you're a sex educator. And what I mean by that is the way that we talk about sex um, whether in a very, you know, a more formalized, like, teaching our children a literally about sex, or even if, like, our friends come to us and tell us something about their sex life, the way that we react sends a message. So, you know, we are teaching other people to be ashamed. We are teaching other people if we are safe or not, right? And so, um, you know, Things like when kids are young, and I, I promise I'm going back to your question, um, when kids are young and, you know, we, you know, even just like don't use the right names for anatomy or, or they get in trouble when they say any word related to genitalia in their school and they get in trouble. That's all, that's all sending a sex education message to them. And so we are all sex educators in the sense that we are sending a message to people around us about how open and accepting we are and what we think is appropriate and what we think is weird and all of that. Um, and I think in the same way, you know, this will be helpful to people who consider themselves sexual beings. And even if someone identifies as asexual, even if someone is like, you know, literally like the stereotype of like a nun, like they have mm-hmm. sexuality, you know what I mean? In the yoga tradition, like those who have, um, decided to take a vow of celibacy too, like that's, that's still sexuality that they have, yeah. right. They've wrestled with, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, And so for me, you know, you know, my bias is that everyone can benefit. Um, Some of the things we will talk about to give people a sense of like, great, she said everybody. And (laughs) so nobody, I don't know. I don't get it. Um, If this is causing distress. So one of the ways that we talk about um, in sex therapy, if something is causing a problem or not, if something's diagnosable or not is if it's causing distress, right? So for some person, um, the very same issue may cause a ton of distress and we diagnose that and we have a treatment plan around it. And uh, for another person, very same thing might be going on, but they, it does not bother them. And so we don't have to treat it, right? And so if you are feeling distress right now or feel even like, am I distress? I mean, you could like be an active distress or you, know, you feel like it could be better in some way. You feel like there's something you're curious about. Like you could learn to lean into that part of yourself a little bit more. Um, If you are single or partnered, um, we will be talking about this in a broad enough way that I think um, anyone, depending on their relationship status, will will get something out of it. Um, A big piece of this will be talking about communication skills because the feedback I've gotten over the years is that when I do like a sex ed 101 with people, they're like, okay, cool. I understand now how like the menstrual cycle and pregnancy work and how how the pill interrupts the menstrual cycle so I don't get pregnant. I get it but how do I sit down and have a conversation with my partner about why I don't want to get pregnant right now? You know, like the human piece of that. And so Mm -hmm. I think we've done a great job um, as sex educators of, of lifting up more and more accurate information and people need it. And we also need to be giving more of that holistic, like how do you sit down and have a really difficult conversation with your partner when they want to have sex and you don't? How do you negotiate this level of stress we're at right now? And still staying connected to somebody. Mm. How is a single person, right? Do you do those things when you feel like it's not, you know, the time to be like dating and meeting up with people, right? So um, we'll be addressing a lot of those communication issues um, and concerns, and giving some like real sort of tangible conversation blueprint type stuff for that, which I think is really helpful. Um, and then you know, starting to also suss out like what what is dysfunction what is normal and spoiler alert like there's not really a normal um sex is a varied experience for people and giving permission um there's a, a model in sex therapy around it's a, an acronym and the, it's the first letter is p and it's for permission it's permission giving and um i love that because that means my first line of defense always is to say you are enough and you are normal and you are okay and let's work from that framework versus a disease model um, that says something is broken or wrong here and let's go from there and so my my hope for the yoga nerd out session is to honor where everyone is at um as being normal and being an appropriate response to the year that has been 2020 and um that it's okay if you're that 14% or that 44% or you know, it's had no impact, that's okay. But that there's always, I think, room to grow and explore and learn more ways to just talk with, with partners and friends and potential partners in a way that feels safe and holistic and enjoyable. I think we haven't had a lot of joy this year and that's also interfering here is like, do I have the right to experience joy and pleasure right now? Hmm. Or do I have the capacity for it right now? And that can feel really dissonant when the rest of your life is not feeling super joyful or um, optimistic or, you know, room for curiosity. And then we expect it to like magically show up at night, right? And it's very prescribed, like when sex (laughs) is supposed to happen at night, you know, in bed and it's supposed to be this way. And we just assume it's gonna happen, but we're not creating a, we don't have a context right now, like kind of you know, globally, we're like, it's, it feels okay and, and normalized to like be joyful and have pleasure. And so um, we'll talk a little bit too about, not a little, a lot about, a lot about um, how to kind of create that context of, of accepting that it's okay, maybe to have some pleasure, even when the world feels like it's on fire and um, you know, accessing that little bit of joy that this can, can give us if we, if we so choose.
0: God, you are so great. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If uh, there is any, any positive I've found in 2020, which not everything has to have a positive, but, uh, to your point, it's been pretty joyless. So (laughs) I'll take whatever wins I can get. It's that so many reminders have come back to what we have to care for first is, what's nearest to us, ourselves, our relationship with ourselves, our, our basic needs of sex and, and, um, caring for our bodies and our minds. So thank you for being a person who advocates for all of that. And, um, if you are listening and you want to learn more from Mary Margaret, I can't recommend it enough. I've learned so much from her over the years as a person and as an educator and um, a therapist. Uh, she will be doing that November, four, uh, sorry, 16th through the 19th. This is a members only event, but you can join as low as $68. And I guarantee you um, that is beyond a steal to get to learn from her. So uh, Mary Margaret, Are there any touch points we can offer on how people can get in touch with you or work with you? I know you've shared with me that um, therapists are pretty overwhelmed right now, but is there their preferred ways to reach out and, and stay in touch with you?
1: Yeah, um, I think, you know, most every therapist I know right now is on a wait list because because this year has been the year that it has been and people are are reaching out, which is great. I love that Um, people are accessing mental health care. And so I would say just generally to folks, if you are reaching out to therapists, you know, find a few and try to send a few emails or calls or whatever and and if you're told there's a wait list, you know, try to be patient if possible. Keep reaching out. Don't give up. There are people out there. There are new therapists, you know, kind of graduating um, throughout the year all the time at different semesters who are coming into practice, you know, so just don't, don't lose hope. There is, um, there is someone out there for you. Um, as far as me, um, I don't know if there's like a, I don't know how technology works. I'm 3,000 years old, but um. I'll, pop,
0: I'll pop these, these, uh, bits in the show
1: notes great, great. Um, i will say first i do have like instagram but i am like i very rarely use it so don't try to get in contact with me there because i'm a bad millennial um but, but i i am there seek and summon at seek and summon is my instagram handle um but then it's for if you actually want me to get back to you uh, my email is info at seek and i have a website seek um so i am booking trainings for for 2021, at this point, and um, yeah, love to like the weirder the venue for a training, the better. Honestly, I love being in places that are unexpected and like creating new contacts with people. Like, who else needs this information? I haven't even thought of yet. Is a really fun challenge for me. So, um, yeah, would love to hear from folks and um, you know connect about whatever whatever's helpful and to see folks in November via via Zoom talking about. Um, you know sex in the pandemic and how we can create some more room for in you know, generally i think pleasure and expansiveness um that doesn't have to be just like the way we think of when we say you know is someone having sex or not like is someone feeling sexual is someone feeling sensual and um, playful um is really my my goal so i would love to have as many folks as possible show up for that
0: uh. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank you to everyone who listened and, um, you know, here's to more positive sex conversations in 20, the end of 2020 and 2021.